You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast about all things therapy-related for therapists, the things that we do, the things that we face with clients and literally everything else (laughs) even the things that you don't know that are out there we are today talking about conspiracy theories and are we are we actually turning into a conspiracy theory podcast here like i'm just now realizing that but (laughs) what to do how to handle when clients are bringing conspiracy theories into the office Now, as we're looking at this episode, we don't want to necessarily speak to any particular conspiracy theories that are out there. So we're we're just going to use a a fill-in conspiracy theory as an example throughout this episode. So the theory that we're working with today is that the companies behind Seeded Grapes are all just a money laundering front because (laughs) no one buys Seeded Grapes on purpose. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a great one. Let's work okay. with that. <laughs> we're we're going to work with that. So do you have clients who are talking conspiracy theories, the bringing in seeded grapes into your sessions? Not currently, actually. I had some folks previously, pretty recently, but I think the thing I want to to distinguish first, because I think that there are conspiracy theories and then there's also delusions, shared psychosis, and and other types of psych- psychotic symptoms. And so, bef- because I've had clients that have psychotic symptoms and believe that pe- the world is out to get them, but how do we d- differentiate conspiracy theory believers from folks who have psychosis? Because for me, I feel like psychosis has other elements to it that potentially lead to that diagnosis versus a someone who doesn't have a mental health condition but has beliefs that are along the lines of conspiracy theory. How do you make that distinction? Profession has not really defined clearly the difference between the two other than we know that they're different. So if you're asking me, there's... Yes, I just did ask you. That yeah. was what I was just doing, Kurt. <laughs> So if you're asking me, it's a focus on ideas. It's more of the approach to the ideas than it is necessarily about the ideas themselves. That when I've worked with clients who have presented with delusions or with psychosis or something else, there's a certain level of reality testing that we go through that those clients respond to that Mm -hmm. does not show the obsessiveness into the research of whatever YouTube videos are out there or, or spending the amount of time going into them. They're not alienating themselves away from friends and family in the way that conspiracy theorists tend to do. And as I see with some of the clients and some of the people who are, who consult with me, it's more of the, actions around 
what the beliefs are that pushes something into kind of that conspiracy theorist territory. This is evidenced by some of the clients who might be sending me several YouTube links from somebody who got their doctorate off of you know some website someplace who's posting 30-minute videos about seeded grape industry. Um, <laughs> and, and several of them. And talking about how their family members will stop talking to them because of their beliefs. So to me, it's more of the qualitative actions around how they approach it, as opposed to necessarily the content of what they're bringing in. I agree. I think there's, with the clients that I've had with psychotic symptoms, they seem to just believe and know it to be true. There isn't that research level. I I agree with that. I think there's also an element of, in fact, they see proof to the contrary and fold it into the delusion or, or the hallucination that they're experiencing. And it stays in this realm that's very different. I do think that folks with psychosis can alienate the people around them. And I think, in fact, do they, you know, I've, sure. I've had clients where they believe that you're part of the conspiracy against them and, and then either decide to meet with you anyway or not. I've had, you know, different folks who argue with, you know, the voices in their head, you know, to try to not do therapy or whatever, or, or believe family members are part of these larger things and and alienate themselves. So I think it's, it's kind of like, we know it when we see it, (laughs) right? you know, whereas conspiracy theories, sometimes it's perfectly reasonable and rational folks that have kind of gone down this social media rabbit hole where, you know, basically all of the the algorithms are are designed to give them more and more information about the seeded grape industry, whereas someone with more of a, a kind of a standalone psychosis or delusion doesn't have that. It's more that they are building things and and this means this, which means this, which means this. And and it's it's their own logic versus something that they're finding within more established means that that they believe they're doing the correct research, but they've actually gone down these these rabbit holes. There's a Psychology Today article that is the mind of a conspiracy theorist. This was part of their November 2020 magazine. We'll link to this in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. But this article talks about uh, particular personality traits that are more likely to lead to people believing in conspiracy theories. And those things include things like low levels of trust, increased needs for closure, feelings of powerlessness, low self-esteem, paranoid thinking, and a need to feel unique. And that these are rather stable personality traits that conspiracy theorists hold across their lifetime. And guides us into probably the crux of this episode, which is what do we do with this when these kinds of clients come into our office, when they talk with us about the things going on, the you know coded messages that they might be receiving or spending inordinate amounts of time on the internet with, that it does help to look at the combination of these personality traits as part of how you might want to look at guiding your response. 
And as you were talking about the types of folks, I just want to touch on that first is it when you were talking about the traits, it just reminded me of the conversation that we had with uh, Dr. Teresa Kapolos on treating political reactionism. And I think that there's there may be some some ties between kind of political extremism and belief in conspiracy theories, if there's some overlap in those, those things. So I just wanted to comment on that. I will link to that podcast episode in the show notes as well, but it it seems like there could be a perfect storm. (laughs) Sure. Well, it makes makes sense when you've got a low level of trust and a need for closure Yes. that if you're not trusting the information that is being presented and you have that drive for needing things to be in nice, neat little boxes, that that sets up that profile of people who are always going to want just that little bit more, not believing that everything has been quite stated yet. And that leads to the opportunity to start filling in boxes that may not actually be there or partial boxes that kind of exist and haven't. And we've really seen this play out in kind of real time over the last couple of years where people in response to the scientific methods around the COVID-19 pandemic don't follow along the scientific paths of real-time science, which is, oh, we've got an idea, we've tested this, this idea doesn't work, or this idea only partially works. Yeah. And the the belief that either that is not factual or that it's absolutely factual and why are they keep looking, they must not be telling us something that is, is widely prevalent at this point. Sure. And I think that there, when, when we look at a, a lack of trust, there's societal efforts towards us feeling very decided, very sure in what, what steps we must take. I mean, marketing does that. This is the answer to your problem. Purchase this thing and it's the answer to your problem. And, you know, the quick fixes and all those things, the, the sitting with uncertainty or the sitting with, you know, kind of partially conflicting messages or those types of things is not something that we are really encouraged to do by a lot of the content we consume. So it makes sense that there are going to be during times of uncertainty that we want the the security of a conspiracy theory because it feels so definite and it feels like you know more than someone else and, and it feels like you have the true answers and so that you're safe even if all the people around you are not. I think for me, the the part that becomes really hard is that there are, if someone brings it into a therapy session, there's this Though there's a different responsibility that we have as therapists. Let me say it that way. Like as a therapist, we have a different responsibility to our clients than a family member. A family member can just be like, yeah, that's crazy, dude. Like, stop it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas with a th- as a therapist, there's there's a responsibility to take care of this client and there's a responsibility to sustain the, the therapeutic relationship. There's a responsibility to do and work in service of the client. And so to me, I think the the difficulty becomes at what point do you push hard back on a conspiracy theory that's very harmful to a client? And at what point do you 
enter the world of the client and and help them to kind of process what they're experiencing. I mean, I know we're going to go into a few different uh, articles that talk about how therapists are managing it. But one of the things in a, I think it was a Mashable article that you sent over to me, Kurt, that the, the first paragraph was like, APA doesn't want to actually come on record with how to address conspiracy theories. Or at least Ooh, why not? What are they hiding? <laughs> because they don't want to piss off people that uh, maybe support them, right? And potentially they don't want to stand up against what a lot of people are saying is conservative rhetoric as conspiracy theory. And we're clearly not saying that. We're talking about seeded grapes. But I think that there's that element of there's some shying away of talking about how do we actually handle this. And I think a lot of our tendencies are, this is uncomfortable. We don't want to piss off people. And so therefore we're just going to smile politely to our clients and then just (laughs) return back to whatever's already in their treatment plan. Yeah. But there probably is times to push back on this because Going back to the Psychology Today article, they point to Timothy McVeigh, the person behind the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, as having violent fantasies that started out in conspiracy thinking. Mm. And well, those level of things are rare. You did bring up uh, our episode with Teresa Capelos as far as, yeah, that extremism can form some of the roots in this and it might lead to lower levels of of vandalism and harm people destroying seeded grapes because (laughs) but within this you probably have a responsibility as a therapist to not just brush things off as eccentric sort of hobby Mm -hmm. thinking i've seen some literature around that there's you know, kind of three groups of people when it comes to conspiracy theory type stuff is there's those who don't believe in anything that's kind of not scientific at all. There's the people who look at conspiracy theory type stuff with, you know, kind of an entertainment value sort of thing. And then mm-hmm. there's the people at the other extreme end who uh, are alienating friends and family. They're staying up late into the night, they're missing work because they're not caring for themselves. And it's a continuum. And some of the people who start in some of that entertainment sort of area start going down the rabbit hole and potentially do slide into some of this more extreme ideology and rhetoric. And especially with things like the internet, you mentioned the algorithms earlier of ending up in echo chambers where they're only hearing people from the same viewpoints that end up developing them even further down the rabbit hole. And I think when there is that investment in a conspiracy theory or a a range, a, a, a family of conspiracy theories, and there is a group that forms around it, I think what can happen is that the investment is so high in it being true because of of whatever it provides to them but i think there there can also be an element of others helping each other to overcome any objections from family members 
from other things. I, I did a little bit of reading around cults and different things like that. And I think once you get a group of conspiracy theorists, I, I don't know when it becomes a cult, but I, I think it's something where some of those mechanisms of really getting into someone's head, whether it's these algorithms or people and, and really creating a space that allows them to disregard everything else in their life and, and just continue to support this conspiracy theory. I think that becomes more obviously a mental health issue and, and a primary mental health issue. I, I think when we're talking about when do we have to step forward, I think that, that knowing how to work with cults and knowing how to help someone, you know, whether it's deprogramming or whatever you want to call it, I think that that's a, that's another conversation. That's not what we're talking about today. But when someone is starting to do things that are harmful to themselves, to others, to property, I mean, at some, at certain points, even just as a therapist, we're mandated to take mm -hmm. action to make sure that people are not causing harm. But I think the, the nuance that, that I think you're looking for, and, and I think what we want to talk about today are folks who have these low, low, low level conspiracy theories that they believe in that could rise to the level of violence or, or destruction of property and, and how we intervene where we don't alienate our clients so that they start, they keep going down the rabbit hole, but we're not with them. And we can't then take some of those protective action for them and for the people around them. One of the biggest signs is people who believe in one conspiracy theory mm -hmm. are susceptible to believing in more. And part of this is just in social expansion that as you start diving into some ideas, the people that you would be conversing with in those areas would also be bringing in other conspiracy ideas. You know, not only is it seeded grapes, but now it's seeded watermelons. Like, why do those <laughs> exist still? Didn't we get that figured out? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think we, we've started a whole new conspiracy theory around seeded, uh, seeded fruit. I'm sure that we can, you know, if, if you have the, the biological knowledge of why we still have these seeded grapes and seeded watermelons, please send us an email at Kurt at therapy. Only if these are videos by doctors in poorly lit rooms, <laughs> at least half an hour in length. <laughs> <laughs> but in working with these, uh, going to this Mashable article, they interviewed Dr. Alan Lipscomb. He is a social worker who has worked a lot with Black men grappling with trauma and grief and noticed with many of his clients that conspiracy theories became a reoccurring theme in their sessions really related to things like race-related microaggressions that even started with things like the clients talking about like the Tuskegee experiments where the government purposely infected Black people with syphilis and seeing the effects of, of these kinds of treatments. Um, which is not a conspiracy. Which theory, is not. That a, is true. That which is true. is true. Yes. But this helped to push some of the mistrust of the government things. Of course. Which, not going to blame anybody coming from this community with stuff like this in the history yeah. of having a healthy mistrust of the government. 
Sure. And, and even in, in the response here, I love the acronym for Dr. Lipscomb's approach to this. It's called the bruh approach. Now, I'm cynical enough that this could also be just like, bruh, honestly. But this actually is an acronym that yes. stands for bonding, recognition, understanding, and healing. And even in the way that we're introducing his work with his particular population, comes with a place of understanding. Yeah, I see where these people are coming from. I I agree that some of these interpretations are going to be natural responses. And it takes building trust with these clients to help them work through some of the mistrust issues. And that includes working on the trust in the therapeutic relationship. Some of my clients who are coming in and talking about the money laundering that goes with seeded grapes right now will continuously kind of still test me with some of the things that they're talking about. Oh, you must not believe in seeded grapes at all. That, well, mm. you know, I hear you. I've I've seen some seeded grapes before. Like these are things that yeah. you're not going to get anywhere with these kinds of clients by directly challenging them with your own beliefs. Otherwise you're going to be, you know, seen as in on the conspiracy yourself. Yeah. I guess the thing that I, I want to point out, because I think with the, the example in the Mashable article, I think the the other element of the conspiracy theories were, you know, kind of based in the reality of the medical harm against the black community. Folks were believing that there were other things happening during the, the COVID-19 pandemic and with the vaccines. So to me, I think the difficulty in sorting out, is it a conspiracy theory or are people actually out to get you? I think that part is really important, especially in marginalized communities. I think starting from a place of this as a conspiracy theory can be very harmful. And so, and, and you may not know that it's a conspiracy theory until you actually have a chance to sit with them and understand. And so my thought process is when you actually take the time to understand someone's perspective, understand the oppression that they're feeling, understand the fears that they have and trying to sort out how is this impacting you? What evidence can you get for and against? And I think there's a, there's an issue with going too much into the evidence with someone that's truly in the enthrall to a conspiracy theory. I think that there has to be a space that it may not be a conspiracy theory. It may be that they're actually being oppressed and marginalized and, or people are out to get them. And so I guess I just wanted to comment on that, but I think that there's, there's a need, I agree, a need for trust within the relationship so that you can truly understand the experience and understand where it's, it's going from my reality to a conspiracy theory. Part of what the COVID-19 pandemic has done is it's forced people away from being around people with differing viewpoints and their jobs yeah. in public. And therefore they are spending more time online with people who are sharing the same beliefs that, yeah. you know, that algorithm stuff that Katie was referring to earlier, uh, part of getting into the trusting relationship with your clients also serves a very long-term goal of helping to 
provide a space for them to think critically about differing viewpoints and uh, even potentially opening up to not hearing from some of the uh, heads of some of the the theories that are being driven. We've seen this, we've seen evidence of this being successful with things like the deplatforming of people like Alex Jones, that mm-hmm. when their messages are no longer allowed on places like Twitter or Facebook or this kind of stuff, the people who have followed them, their rhetoric also becomes less extreme when it comes to some of these conspiracy theories. So keeping in mind that this is a slow and deliberate building of trust with clients means that you really have to watch your own reactions and sessions. You can't be rolling your eyes. You can't be necessarily (laughs) avoiding conversations about these kinds of things. But having compassion for the starting place of where these clients are coming from, so that way, when they are ready or willing to take that next step with you, that you are seen as a trusted figure in their lives. How would you differentiate addressing a conspiracy theory with a client versus addressing a a fear that has gone to a slightly irrational place? I don't know that I would approach them much differently Uh, that at least as far as how I'm hearing what you're saying with some of the instances that have come up in my practice is in my general response, you know, I'll, I'll provide some curious space for, Oh, I haven't heard about that. That does come from maybe a more neutral place that allows for me to be a curious thinker of, well, I wonder about fill in the blank, you know, I wonder about, you know, seeded oranges, do those things still exist? Um, (laughs) Or, you know, something that might be a curious challenge to it that does invite looking at things from, from differing viewpoints as team members that you would also do with clients who do present with, irrational fears, irrational beliefs. Yeah. You know, never have we ever, you know, just confronted a client in session been been like, Hey, that, that irrational fear you have, how about just thinking about it differently? Like (laughs) if that was the way things worked, our, our, our grad school training would be a lot shorter, but it doesn't work that way. So it's, wasn't there, isn't rational motive therapy. Isn't that kind of like, that's irrational. (laughs) Like, isn't that Isn't that actually a a tried and true therapy? (laughs) I love that Aaron Beck can just yell at clients that they're wrong and that, but, but even, even within REBT, there's the trust in this is somebody, you know, you're, you're not just yelling. That's irrational in the first session. You're you're not just there arguing with clients. And part of this is really understanding that you might get 45, 50 minutes out of a week with a client and they're spending eight hours a day online listening to Joe Rogan or the seeded grape industry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing that I'm, I'm sensing from the way that you work as well as this is the way that I work is that there is a connection with the client that then allows for some exploration of what's going on. I think this is another distinguisher between conspiracy theory versus kind of an irrational fear within a a normal kind of anxiety 
presentation is, is that folks who are anxious think that their anxiety is too high for what they're experiencing. And it seems like folks who with a conspiracy theory feel like they're not afraid enough, that this is super dangerous. And so I think really trying to sort through where someone sits there and being able to honor what is occurring, I think is really important. I think the the part that can get very confusing, I think, you know, and this has happened with me with some of my conspiracy focused um, psychosis that I've seen, but also I think with folks who are just very intelligent people that believe things that have been put forward as conspiracy theories. I think what ends up happening is, is I try to connect with the pieces that feel like they are, I don't know what the right word is, common ground maybe, and trying to understand the impact of, of what they believe on how they behave on their relationships, trying to sort through it from that angle. I think it becomes challenging when there's just such an interweaving of reality and conspiracy theory where you can't just, you can't yell at them. It's irrational because it's not completely irrational. There's, it's so nuanced and there's so many little pieces that the conversation has to be very rich. And so it, it goes back to that element of it really has to come from a very strong relationship and, and we need to be able to stay in relationship. And, and the more we push back, the less like someone in our, in our office is going to be able to, to hang with us if they've really invested in the conspiracy theory. The Smashable article has interviewed Dr. Ziv Cohen, the founder and medical director of Princeton Psychiatry in New York City. And Dr. Cohen really calls out that the professional organizations do need to be more involved in providing some guidance in this area. And I can understand why the professional organizations are not. That's because many therapists probably also believe in some conspiracy theories. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's where we're going to get all of the, the, the feedback on the episode. <laughs> well, and as a professional organization, we know that their first job duty is to make sure that the continuance of the professional organization exists. Yes. And if they are alienating their members, that is potentially a drop in membership and therefore they don't want to alienate members. Sure. So even being able to wade into this, and Dr. Cohen calls for the professional organizations to take more of a stance and guidance, you know, at least use something like, you know, seeded grape industry as an example. We don't need to necessarily go out and address things, but we do need to work on training clinicians on how to recognize when it does progress from seeded grapes to harm and potentially identifying those who are most vulnerable to be acting out violently. And it is a continuum and a slippery slope. So call your professional organizations, tell them your thoughts on seeded grapes. <laughs> Don't put any context into it, but <laughs> make seeded grapes happen. So I want to actually push back on one of the things that you said. As a profession, is it not important for us to comment on conspiracy theories that are psychologically harmful to the populace? 
Absolutely, we should. Okay. So why would you then say that professional organizations shouldn't address that, but should address how therapists I'm saying uh, treat I, conspiracy I'm, theories? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm picturing the heads of these organizations and what their response is, the pearl clutching that they will have in looking mm. at their membership and giving them an out to be able to walk the line in between what they should be saying and how they can package it nicely to actually start presenting this information. So you're trying to get to a place where they would actually do something versus actually commenting on what they really should be doing. Exactly. Yes. All so, right. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Check out our show notes at MTSG podcast, join our Facebook group, the modern therapist group, follow us on our social media and Continue to drink the Modern Therapist Kool-Aid. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. If you're still listening, the code <laughs> is 62, 160, 1600.